welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And I am so happy to be joined today by Eleanor Bonney. She's a feminist, an activist, an author, a mother, and a friend. Ellen has spent her life helping others. She represented our country in the Peace Corps. She lived the American dream. And in recent years, socially and politically, she has put herself on the front lines for America. She's protested injustice. She's actually been shot at while doing so. Maybe for Ellen, it is time for something else besides the American experience because she's always wanted to travel and live abroad. She's also loved her husband deeply and life on the farm. The push-pull and her eventual sacrifices are the story you're going to hear today. It's a show that's been several months in the making while we waited for Ellen to make the final decision with her husband, with her friends, and with her family. Now that the plans are solid, we're happy to share the story of Ellen Urbani. We recorded this interview last fall when we were working on that series of shows about women and the sometimes hard decisions they were making to try to bring more authenticity, more joy, and more happiness into their middle lives. Here's Ellen's story. I, you know, I, I don't feel like this is just happening to me. I feel like I'm part of something that is really large and will change, you know, in the way that we talk about the things that are happening in this country right now, I actually think that the things that are happening in this country are going to force a, a large and important sect of women mm -hmm. to alter their lives in ways that are going to wind up altering the country as well. I do too. And, and that much of what we're experiencing is there's, there's this horrible backlash and it's an awful pendulum swing, but I think a lot of it is a, a conservative backlash against women insisting that, that the world continue to change to include them in ways it hadn't before. Yeah. And that what we're seeing is a backlash against that. I was thinking about that, how in some way, Me Too, it started to bubble up this kind of hatred and backlash toward women during Me Too, right? But because Black Lives Matter actually mm -hmm. had so many women on the front line, the backlash against women kind of fell to a conversation about race. And in some ways, it mm -hmm. delayed this reconciliation that you're talking about by almost two and a half years. And that's why I think there's so much energy around it right now is that so many women actually knew that during Black Lives Matter, it was also, they were coming for them too. Oh, yeah. That this Proud Boys um, nationalist movement, that all of this is in some ways rage against women. I, I've always said that to my friends. I, I absolutely agree. Even the biggest asshole of a man is going to have a hard time standing on a sidewalk screaming about how his wife is usurping his manhood and right. um, about how he, you know, harbors this right. underlying hatred against his wife and his daughters. Mm -hmm. Even the biggest asshole isn't going to do that. It's a lot easier to direct it at your typical subjects, That's right. the immigrants, the gay yeah. people. But women are in so many ways the like great wave that carries every one of those other movements. Yep. And by shooting at the Black Lives Matter protesters and by directing your shots at the line of moms who are standing in the front, Right. You achieve exactly what you wanted and you just don't have to name it. 
for yourself or any of your buddies? How did it germinate? When did you actually put the plan into motion? How did you actually go about truly deciding to leave America? Well, I truly decided to leave America 20 some years ago. And I've been here because of my kids, because my, I was divorced and my children's father was here. And, and so I knew that I, I was here for the long haul. That said, I never wanted to leave America because I don't love America. You know, I served my country too. And, it, you know, I joined the Peace Corps. You know, I wasn't going to carry a gun and aim it at anyone, but I was going to serve my country. And that was the way that I could do that. I, I dated before I married Steve, I dated for years, an army, a special ops army guy who was deployed most of that time overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I remember he always used to say, he's like, Ellen and I had the same job because he was part of the military's, you know, nation building efforts and whatnot. But, you know, he always used to say to people, Ellen and I had the same job. The only difference is that I got to carry a gun. So I never wanted to leave because I I don't care about my country. I'm not deeply invested in it. And I think one of the things that I was so lucky to have joined the Peace Corps, and it was a great fit for me in this way, was this idea that you get to learn about other cultures while also teaching people what actual Americans are like. You know, when I was in Guatemala, they had a sense, you know, they always used to watch Dallas. Um, And J.R. Ewing was every American to them. And I remember having this strong argument one night because I didn't get a car for my 16th birthday. Um, One of my friends, she's like, no, tell them like, what color was it? And she's like, what one did your dad get you? And I kept saying, but I didn't get a car. And she became so enraged because she was so looking forward to the story that she was sure I would have to tell. And I was like, I was poor. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a car until I was like late thirties. Um, oh my God. That and, is so funny. And I love the idea of, of moving in a world in a way where we can get to know each other as people, not as caricatures. Yeah. But, you know, I told Steve, like I said, I told Steve on our first date that just so you know, when my children graduate, when my last child graduates from high school, I will be gone. It's like, and I don't actually want to leave necessarily entirely, but I I want to live part of my life, at least overseas. I have dual citizenship. Oh, do you really? Already? I did this 25 years ago. I was eavesdropping on a conversation at a family funeral. And I heard a distant cousin talking about how she had discovered she was an Italian translator for the embassy. And she discovered through her connections there, this loophole whereby... Italy bestows citizenship by birthright. For a certain group of people born in the early 1900s, during certain years, if their parents had not renounced their Italian citizenship when their child was born in America, the child was born an American with American citizenship, but also born with a birthright to the Italian citizenship that had not yet been renounced. And you had up to three generations to reclaim it through the paternal line. And it just so happened we met that criteria. Oh, my. my dad's father was born in America in like the 1900s, early 1900s. His parents still had their Italian citizenship. So that means he and then my father. And because I'm the last in line as a female, I can still claim it because it came through the men. I decided 25 more years ago that I was doing this. Like I just felt like there might be a time when 
I might need to get out of this country. And I wanted my whole family to have the capacity to go. And I actually deliberately postponed having children until my Italian citizenship came through because I wanted my children to be born with dual citizenship which they were, which is how it is that my children have come, like they've both been living overseas this year. Elijah's in school in Austria because he's an EU citizen. So he can go to school for free in Europe. And Claire has been living in Italy for the year as an Italian citizen. But in doing it, I also then, I had to get it for my grandfather posthumously. And then I had to get it for my father and then I got it for me. My children were born with it. And now um, I've set it up so my sisters have access as well. We all have dual citizenship. And by God, I'm not wasting it. No. And I mean, this is the moment I did it for, right? Yeah. Is, I felt like I could just, I could feel that we might wind up here. And I wanted my family to have choices. So here's the thing. I haven't made an exact decision. Here's the, the tragedy is. So Steve and I had been planning this. I thought we were planning this together. It turns out in the ways that sometimes happen in marriages, um, he was thinking about how he'd be, what he would be comfortable with. Well, I thought that we were planning. And so about a year ago, he just felt like he couldn't be here under a Trump presidency. Mm -hmm. And his feeling was if Trump won again, we were making, I thought we were making plans and he thought we were considering not being here if Trump won again. Yeah. When Biden won, I was still under the impression that we were going to do like a half half the year here, half the year elsewhere. Mm. And um, and then Steve announced that, well, no, there's no reason anymore to do that. At which it wasn't our best conversation in that I was of the, if you think that just because Biden won that this is over, you're a damn fool. And mm. he was of the, but we've built this big, beautiful life together and you're not serious about blowing it up when, you know, the arc always bends toward justice, just be more patient. And so it's been about a year. Unfortunately, the kids have been gone. And so we've been able to move through this. But the bottom line here is this is his place in the world. We built Steve's dream. I just thought we were building it first. So sorry. And the thing is, Sheila, like, I love him. I adore my husband. And I have perhaps the world's most enviable life. And I also know that it doesn't matter how much space and money and stuff I have. My soul is pulled somewhere else. And I will be no good to me or my husband if. I give up some of the things that are most essential to me in order to live out someone else's dream. I won't do it. I won't do it to me, but I also won't do it to him because he deserves to be with somebody whose dream is like right outside this door. Yeah. And that's not me. I have loved building this magnificent home with him and this farm and, you know, all the things like I wanted to live on a farm and I have, and I've learned how to be a farmer and yeah. I've taken in all of these animals and it has filled me with so much joy and I've done great good. And I don't want to do the same thing every day for the rest of my life. I have so much more I want to learn and explore and adventure and I'm going to do it. 
I'm just going to have to do it by myself. And that's okay with me. It's okay. I just keep thinking about like how many women put their desires on hold, believing that at some point their path, their option, their beliefs are going to be as important as their partner's dream. And in almost every interview I've had with every single woman, there's this realization like, oh my God, if I don't take this, if I don't act like a thief in the night and steal my life for me, nobody will ever do it for me. That's so clear to me that it takes an almost radical act of saving your own life to actually be able to put your plan in place, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and I feel it's so sad. I mean, we are both just so sad about this and he doesn't understand. He, he keeps, you know, saying, but like, this is what we did together for us to change our lives is too much of a change. It's, he's like, why do you keep talking about compromise? And and like, he's the good one, right? He's, he's such a feminist in so many ways. And he's so generous and progressive and all of it. And Sheila, it, it has become so like part of my sadness in this is the realization that this patriarchal thing is so deep in me, even it's in us too. It's been so fine with me to live out somebody else's dream first. And also, like, make no mistake, it has been so wonderful for me. Like, I have found great joy, but it would be so easy for me to talk myself into letting what he wants be what I want too. And no, yeah. no. What, what are you most afraid of? When you're moving to a new country, you have to kind of plan out all of the both the positives and, and both the negatives. So what scares you about it? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, it almost is less scared, right? Um, But there are pieces that I know are going to hurt people. And that makes me sad. My parents are both still alive and they're here. And I have loved sharing my life with my parents. And I don't want to evacuate their world, (laughs) evacuate myself from their world right at the end of their life. So I also realized that part of what I'm going to need to do is perhaps make more temporary choices so that I can still be able to be a vital part of their lives in ways that I matter to me while they're still here. Like I could see Spain being a place where I could wind up, but it might be that Mexico or Costa Rica is quicker and easier to get back and forth. I love Chile, but Chile's a 14-hour plane flight. Mexico's a five-hour plane flight. And so I may make, you know, I, I may make choices that are not the ones I will make over the long term in the interim in order to, to have access to my parents. Um, I also know that for all their alteredness, uh, for all their altered perspectives toward the progressive as they've gotten older, which is so rare, and I so admire my parents for that that my marriage to Steve has given them a great deal of security. They know that I'm fine financially and, and also that like our whole family will be, is okay. That Steve and I have been able to do things for everybody together that I won't be able to keep doing necessarily by myself. And I know that it will scare my parents the idea that I'm off in the world by myself somewhere. And so that's not a fear of my own, but I know that it will cause them fear and pain and, and that I wish I could avoid. I, 
I know like I'm about to blow Steve's life up too. And I wish I didn't have to do that to him. I wish we could find a way to move forward together, but we, he can't, he can't. Everything just seems like the same set of circumstances we have when our children are young and we know that all the sacrifices we're making are going to be so worth it because we're creating this other human being's life, right? But now you're talking about creating your own life, mm -hmm. your own life for the first time. And you're what, in your yeah. mid-50s now? Are you in your 50s? Yeah, I'm 53. And, and like I said, my life has been an exciting and a thrilling thing. And I've had so much agency and done so much that I want for me. And this is sort of my, the last big thing that is like on my, you know, I wanted to write books, done. You know, I wanted to um, run my own company, done. I like talked from when I was a little kid, I wanted to live on a farm, done. You know, I wanted to raise kids so that they were secure and they, we're raised in a progressive community and um, with a love of adventure and travel and exploration done. You know, I wanted to take care of my parents done with their setup. Like this is my last major item on my life's list. And I knew when I decided to have kids and, you know, and all of that, that it was going to, this was the one piece that was going to necessarily be postponed. And here it is. And I'm not, I'm not giving it up. Ellen, I can't tell you, it's almost like the stories that I am hearing women talk about, yours is the most profound of all because it, it combines the elements of everyone's angst at this stage and this, it's an almost desperate feel to have their DNA whole, you know? Yeah, and, and it doesn't mean that I won't be back or that I have no idea how this will all work out. I, and I don't need to know what that will be. And I don't need to know like the path until I'm dead. It's, it's simply that I need to give, I need to give this dream its wings. And from there, like I'll have done it all. I'll have done every piece I meant to do. And then anything else will just be, you know, a cherry on top. We haven't, you know, Steve and I haven't said anything to anyone. One, it's just been coming, you know, we've, we've taken a while to just finally, I mean, I think we were both so hopeful that there'd be a compromise and, you know, and I, and I said to him, like, like, could I, what about how, you know, if you can't do half a year here, half a year somewhere else, what about three months somewhere else and six months, nine months here. And then it was like, what if I just go for one month each year? And all of it was like, he's like, no, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I, I said, like, I was like, Steve, I can bend, like if there's a 12 months in a year, I can bend 11 twelfths yeah. towards your side, yeah. <laughs> but there has, there has to be room for mine too. There has to be room or else, or else I simply will have to go. Yeah. And so I'm going and that is decided. And, um, Aww. I know that said, um, we, you know, the kids have been gone all year and like, we're not in a horrible hurry. Like it's a weird thing trying to decide. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. This odd thing of like, we know this isn't going to last, but we get we have another year. Clara's got her senior year of high school. She's coming home. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't go for a year. Mm -hmm. And, and it may be that we can't make it through the year. I know for yeah. Steve, especially that's hard, the living with the sadness, yeah. but it's important to us one, not to have like called the kids on an international phone line and broken the news to them, but also 
like, I also feel like our kids have been away for a year and I don't want them to like, welcome home, put your bag in your bedroom and come to the kitchen. We have something to talk about. So I'm hopeful we can wait a little while. Yeah. And um, just because it's, it's not, a, it's not a decision that is impacting anyone other than Steve and I for a while. So my hope, and we'll just see how it plays out. And we understand this will have to be adapted. My hope is we might get to like after the holidays yeah. and to let the kid tell the kids what's happening then. Um, but I like, I'm already planning. And my thinking is I, my thinking is I'm going to take probably a year mm-hmm. and just travel. Um, and I don't want to make quick decisions. Yeah. I, I have my, I, you know, I speak Spanish, not well, but it'll come back to me. Yeah. I'm healthy enough, but I've got some major medical things that I'm going to have to stay on top of. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all of that. So there's a lot of practical decisions, but Panama, Costa Rica, Mexico, Colombia mm-hmm. are four places where I speak the language. I know the cultures and I could get really good health care. That said, I also have EU citizenship, which means that I could live anywhere in Europe and have health coverage and, you know, all the all the rights and all the benefits of citizenship. So I think what I'm going to wind up doing is one, just doing some travel, like just things I want to do. I think I'm going to join a small group and camp across Africa for a number of months. I've long wanted to cross the Andes on horseback and am thinking that's going to be one of the things that I will also do. I suspect I'll wind up hiking the full length of the Camino in Spain. Like my thinking is that initially that first year is going to just be like some of my, the things I've been, the trips I've been dying to take that nobody wanted to take with me. And I'm just going to go do them myself. And then after that, it's going to be searching for my home. And I'm thinking I will perhaps rent a place for two or three months in each country uh, or between two to four months and sort of travel around, but have a home base. I don't, I'm not a nomad. I don't want to live out of a backpack, but just spend maybe another year just exploring places, but I don't know. We'll see how it all feels to me. And, and if I decide that a couple months of camping across Africa and I need to be still for a year, then I'll find a place to go be still for a year. So it's a lot of research, but with not a lot of specific. You have to really um, find a way to keep people abreast of it, because I think if you could really name the number, probably the tens of millions of women who are thinking the same thing about how do I do this and how do I make that decision? I think you'd have such a huge following of people whether or not that's something you want to do, probably not yeah. at the same time, but boy, there's <laughs> something in the air for sure. Well, you know, and that's the next piece for me, right, is I don't want to just disappear. I don't want to run away. And there are causes and things that matter so deeply to me. And women's rights and feminist issues have always been the most deeply held in my heart. And I want to find ways to continue to advance those causes I'm not trying to hide and I'm not running away. I'm, I'm looking for a way to reorient my life so that the things that matter most to me become bigger priorities in my own life. And, and I, I'm, I'm very open to recognize I don't know what that will look like, but it's not going to be just slinking away with a camping pad and disappearing into the world. 
a year from now, everybody will, everybody will know everything a year from now. Yeah. But okay. my hope is that for almost the next year, I'm just going to quietly go about thinking and planning and exploring. And then as we get closer to the, a year from now, the people who matter the most and whose lives will be most impacted will be told. And once they are, then I can just live it all out loud. I mean, I am so honored that you shared the story with me, Ellen. I think it's so indicative of what I'm attempting to try to show here. You know, it has all of the elements of the passion and the purpose that people find themselves compelled to, to live out. And also, Sheila, a lot of it, like, it's it's so interesting the way it ties into, to though, like the, the issues over the past six years, 40 years, but, you know, writ large in the past six years. But I mean, like, like, I mean, I got fucking shot, right? I got shot by the, I like I had worked for the Department of Homeland Security. I'd been a consultant with them on trauma and grief issues. Like the guys who were shooting at me were the guys I was helping. I like there's just something that is just, it's not possible for it to be made more clear to me that this is not the ground I need to be standing on anymore. And it's all feels like it's coming together and pointing in the right direction. You asked about fears, like, I have no idea what it will look like. And I'm a girl who likes to have, you know, my plans with, I've got so many, they've got so many indents and bullets because exactly that, like it'd drive you nuts. So that's a little nerve wracking, but that's okay. I'm 53 years old. It might be time to learn to live without a plan. (laughs) You know, the other big one for me is because I had been, when I'd lived overseas before, it was in such a dangerous time and place. Mm -hmm. And there were some pretty traumatic things that happened. So I had some pretty severe PTSD related to that. But I've worked really, really hard in the more recent past to address that. And, And I feel like I've done a good job doing that. Uh, I'm aware that though I've never spent a night in a building by myself. Um, Either I've had a person with me or a dog. And so I realized that I'm going to be moving out into the world and literally be camping across Africa at times alone. And, you know, I don't know, finding some hotel room after I get off a train station in a country I can't identify by myself. And I'm aware, I wouldn't say I'm scared, I'm aware that that could potentially be tricky, but I also feel like I've, I've put into place a really good support structure that I actually can rely on even from overseas. So I'm trying to be mindful of like, what are my emotional vulnerabilities? What are my psychological vulnerabilities? What are my financial vulnerabilities? And let's just be real straightforward about those from the beginning and identify how I can manage them so that I can, I don't wind up crippled by fear. There's, um, I wish I could tell you the name of the woman who said this. There was a, a she wrote a book. I, I've hunted so many times to find who she is and I cannot find who she is, but I heard her speak about a book she wrote and she'd been a scientist who had been living in Antarctica for a while at one of the stations down there. Mm-hmm. And there was a line she said, and I've quoted it so many times in my life, and I'm like going to have it written across my, tattooed across my forehead. Mm-hmm. And she said, there are many reasons not to throw your life up in the air and see where it lands. 
just don't let fear be one of them. Wow, isn't that the truth? Yeah, and so I'm just being very, very mindful of the fact that I'm about to throw my life up into the air and let it land. And fear is not gonna be a part of keeping me from walking through that mess to see what's on the other side. Bye.